my privilege this morning to welcome our speaker. Uh, our speaker's name is Wes Halula. Not hallelujah, it's short for that. He's a writer, director, producer for film and television. Uh, Wes wrote for DreamWorks Netflix series Veggie Tales in the House, which maybe you've heard of. His latest film, uh, Church People, streams on Amazon Prime and was released last year. Wes wrote and directed Stop Traffic, uh, the winner of the Atlanta Underground Film Festival, which is a film used to help girls escape trafficking. Wes is a writer and producer, um, wrote and produced the film Desolate Beauty, um, developed an animated series, The Stokes Family Adventures, with Emmy Award-winning Tony Hale, and developing a World War II biopic currently based on the book Resolve. Wes has created content for Disney, DreamWorks, Lionsgate, Comedy Central, Discovery Education, Compassion International, Sparkhouse Publishing, and Life Promotions. Uh, Wes's day gig is, uh, has been a film content creator for Bethel and recently moved to a much better university, the University of Northwestern, as the senior network video uh, creator. I think I got that right. Uh, and as a comedian is uh, how I largely knew Wes early in the, in the early days, and uh, he's performed for comedy sports. Uh, he and his wife, Janika, and his wife, by the way, uh, grew up in a family of professional jugglers. Don't hear that very often. Uh, but they together founded Happy Fun Time, uh, they, which was a, an improvisational traveling comedy group that traveled to perform at music festivals, retreats, and conferences for many years, uh, years ago. And this troupe actually involved two of my very good friends, Mike and Nate, who some of you may have heard at various conferences uh, locally and um, may have heard of them. Uh, so also uh, where they MC. I've known Wes for 20 years, and uh, I can tell you he is the real deal. Uh, I love Wes's combination of both his ability to laugh. I know if I'm on a conversation on the phone with Wes, which I have been in anticipation of this this morning, I'm going to laugh really hard, and we're also going to have some really good conversations. So please uh, welcome with me Wes Halula. Uh, that was ridiculous. Thank you. I think that was like literally every minute of my life. I think you just said everything I've ever done. You left out that one time I ate a Subway sandwich, but other than that, this is everything I've done my whole life, so give it up for Mr. Goldie. Mr. Goldie into his house. Uh, yeah, man, and you guys, that worship band, that was unbelievable. Wasn't that amazing? Holy cow, you guys do that? How often do you do that? Yeah, you should clap for them for sure. Or not, that's cool. Okay. Uh, cool, so listen, I'm going to pray and then we'll get started here. You guys ready? Let's pray. Oh, I, this, is, this is how we do it. I say let's pray and then we'll all just clap together. Ready? Let's pray. Nice. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to be here. Uh, open up our hearts and minds to hear from you and just help us to kind of put the clutter of life aside for a second and just hear from you. Uh, really just <laughs> bless my words and do more with it than I could ever possibly do because uh, I just want to get out of your way too. But thank you for this time. Pray this in your name. Amen. Cool. So I don't know what your situation is. I don't know what your home life looks like. Uh, I, and I didn't discover this for a long time, but my home life was weird. And I didn't know it was weird until I got older and started like going to other people's homes and seeing what their home life was like. And, and you might be experiencing that now. You're starting to go like, you know, when you're a little kid, you're like, oh, my parents are normal. Everyone's normal. We're all the same. And then you start meeting other people and you're like, oh, they're weird. And then pretty soon you're like, no, we're weird. We're the weird people. But here's the thing. As you get older, you start to go, no, we're weird, and they're weird, and they're weird. We're all weird, which is kind of normal. So I was right in the beginning. 
It's all normal, right? But my version of weird, everybody's got their own version. My version was my mom and dad couldn't be more different from each other. My mom was like, you know, kind of tall for a woman, not really tall. She was like 5'9", which isn't tall, but, you know. But my dad was 5'4". It's like a very short dude. So they looked really weird standing next to each other. Right? And my, uh, my mom was like this big personality. She was fun and funny and weird. And my dad, his favorite word was meh. Right? He was just like this crabby, crusty. Like my dad was born out of the womb an old man. He just like, he was, just, he, I, he was old his entire life. Right? And he was just crabby and mean and just angry. So uh, that was like some of the differences. But the main difference, the main big difference was that my mom, she was like all in on Jesus. She was committed. She was like, she, you know, if, if, if church was open, we were there. If church wasn't open, she had us kids gathered around outside, banging on the door, asking them to open it, right? And it wasn't just about church. Like, she really loved Jesus and really loved people. I, I'd get up um, in high school. Sometimes I'd have to get up really early to go do some stuff before school. And my mom was always up with, like, the Bible open and a bunch of books that she was studying. And I would get up sometimes, and I would hear her praying for my brothers and I. And, like, she just was this glowing orb of spirituality and light and life. She was amazing, right? And my dad was way over here. Again, his favorite word was meh, right? He just was like this crabby, sad, angry dude. And uh, my mom was all in on the spirituality thing and Jesus, and not just spirituality like in an Oprah sense, but like Jesus and, 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 and the Bible. And my dad wanted no part of it no part of it. In fact, uh, when they got married, neither one of them were really serious about their faith in any way. And then they got pregnant with my older brother. And then they were like, oh, my mom said, you know, well, we're in America. We should probably start going to church. Can take our kids to church. That's what you do. But she happened to go to a church that was amazing. And she was like, this is awesome. I've, I've grew up going to church and it wasn't like this. This is amazing. I want, I want more of this. And she was like, my dad's name was Richard. Richard, you got to do this. This is amazing. Come meet these people. It's incredible. My dad's like, I don't want any part of it. No, I don't want anything part of it. At one point, he got really mad at her, and he said, I'm not, I'm not going to be a Christian. I work in a factory, and you can't be a Christian and work in a factory. Which I think legal is, legally, that's not true. You actually, you can, you can be a Christian and work in a factory. It's fine. But that's what my dad said. He considered himself to be this, like, rough, blue-collar, tough guy at 5'4", and, like, he didn't want any part of this Christianity thing because it was weak, right? So me as a kid, I mean, honestly, like as a really little kid, I was like, uh, this is weird. One of these people is a moron and I got to figure out which one. Like one of them is right about this and one of them is making a huge mistake and I don't want to mess this up. I don't want to mess this up. So honestly, like even as a little kid, I would like go to sleep listening to sermons on the radio, which I, you know, I don't know. That's what I did, right? And it wasn't because I was some spiritual giant. I, I think it now, in, in hindsight, it's because I was like, what's going on here, man? What is this thing about? Why is this such a controversial thing in my family, right? And so I started reading the Bible, and I was just looking for, like, what's the, you know, people seem to love this book for some reason. Over here, they love it. Over here, not interested. What's going on? So I started reading it, and I read, uh, one of the first things I read, in, like, you know, I was like, um, probably 11, maybe 12, like kind of just thinking about puberty. Uh, actually, I was completely unaware of puberty. Actually, I didn't hit puberty until like 20 minutes ago. So I was like way behind on that whole thing. But anyway, I was just like at that age. And uh, so I, uh, 
was reading the Bible, and I read that verse, that passage where um, Solomon, I don't know if you guys know this story, but Solomon was, you know, what we know of Solomon is like he was the smartest king that ever lived, the wisest, the richest, the most powerful. All of the other kings were like, oh, I wish I was Solomon. He's awesome, right? That was Solomon. But when Solomon became king, he was like, 11, 12, 13, and he was this pipsqueak little kid, and his voice was probably doing this, right? And he, he became king of this kingdom, and he was freaked out. He was terrified, terrified. And so he has a dream. This is in 1 Kings, and he has this dream, and God visits him in a dream, and he says, hey, Solomon, just relax, buddy. I'm with you. I'm with you. And in fact, to show you that I'm with you, ask me for anything you want, and I'll give it to you. And this is like a rare moment in history. I can't find any other place in the Bible where God, because God's not like a genie in a lamp for us, right? Like he's God and, and we're not. And, and so this moment is rare where God's like, hey, you ask for anything and I'll give it to you. And Solomon says, I want wisdom. And God says, ding, 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 ding. That is the correct answer, Solomon. That is an amazing answer. And I'm paraphrasing here, of course, but he says like, you didn't ask for the heads of your enemies. You didn't ask for riches and power and a long life. You asked for wisdom. And because you asked for that, I'm going to give you more wisdom than anyone before you or anyone after you. And since you didn't ask for those other things, you win both showcases. You get a long life. You get riches. You get power and fame. The thing that you didn't even ask for. And I read this, you know, like a 13-year-old, I don't know, 11, 12, I don't know how old I was. But I, I, I was like, that is what I want, man. I want wisdom. i got to figure this thing out. I want wisdom. So I started reading the Bible like super intensely. And, you know, I know it was kind of nerdy, but I was, I was like, something's going on here. And I kind of started, I, I changed my mindset. I was like, okay, I'm going to assume that God put the stuff in here for a reason. There aren't accidents in here. The stuff that's in our Bibles, I'm just going to go with that assumption. Let's see what happens. Let's, let's drive this car down this road. So I'm reading, I'm growing, I'm studying, I'm listening to sermons on the radio because I'm a nerd. And I, and I get to this part in the Bible where, have you guys read that part about the armor of God? Have you heard that? Have you guys heard of the armor of God? Like we talk about it sometimes and sometimes we know what we're talking about, sometimes we don't. Anyway, I'm reading it and I'm like, I think I'm going to just read this as though the stuff that's in here is intentional, right? And it's like the helmet of salvation. And I was like, okay, I'm a little bit older now. I'm 16. I'm seeing some things. And I was like, okay, the helmet of salvation, the helmet protects our, our heads, our minds, our relationship with Jesus being saved by Jesus protects our brains from thinking some stupid things that are not true. Like it protects our brains from believing things that are not true. The, the breastplate of righteousness. I'm like, okay, the breastplate, what is righteousness, by the way? It's just doing what's right, right? Let's, let's stop thinking of it as a church word. It's just doing what's right. You know what's right. You just do the thing that's right. Even if it's hard, you just do it, right? So I'm like the breastplate of righteousness, and I'm watching my friends make really dumb decisions, and their hearts are getting broken. And I was like, oh, the breastplate protects your heart. And when we do what's right, it protects our hearts from getting broken. I love this. This is amazing. I'm reading. I'm getting so pumped up. And it's building up and it's building up. And I'm like, we're building up for some big battle here. I can feel it. And it gets all the way to the end. Let's read this verse together here. Oh, it's up here. It's not there. It's up here. Okay. And above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith G, oh, it's okay. <laughs> you shall be able to quench all of the fiery darts of the wicked one. And I was like, yes, above all, the shield of faith, the fiery darts. Ah! I was like, wait a minute, darts? I'm wearing all this armor because of, of darts? And I was just picturing Satan with these little darts just going, eh. 
you're good, right? I was like, I, this is not the battle that I signed it up for. I wanted like a battle. This, this little dart guy, I'm just like, yeah, stop it, you're a jerk. Oh, right, that's not what I wanted. But then I remembered my friend Brian. And Brian was in my youth group, and I thought Brian was so awesome, man. He was so lucky. Here, here's the unlucky part. The unlucky part was he and his brother Aaron their dad was an alcoholic and he would like float in and out of their lives. And so he'd be in their life for like a couple weeks, couple months. He'd be gone for a couple weeks, a couple years. And he would just kind of come in and out whenever and they could never count on him. And when he was there, it was a mess, right? That's not luck. That's very opposite of lucky. There's a word for that, I'm sure. Anyway, so uh, it's bad news, right? But here's the good part. Brian, his mom would like, work 15 jobs and, and be gone all the time. And so Brian and his brother Aaron, they do stuff like this. They'd, uh, they'd uh, get in the living room, they'd push all the furniture around the edge of the living room, and then they'd go in the kitchen and they would get the, the meat tenderizer. You know what that is? Like the hammer in your kitchen with the little nubbies on it, yeah? So they'd put that on one end of the room. On the other end of the room, they'd put the turkey fork. You guys know that, the big giant fork that we use twice a year? Yeah, so they'd put that on one end of the room. Here's a third option for that fork, guys. So they'd get in the middle of the room, they'd start wrestling, and if you got to one of those weapons first, you could use it on the other person. And I thought he was so lucky, right? Brian showed up one day, he's got like three giant holes in his arm. I'm like, Brian, are you okay? And he's like, huh? Oh, no, I'm good. Wait till you see Aaron. And Aaron walks in with like a tic-tac-toe grid on his forehead, and I was like, oh, you guys are so lucky. This is the stuff they do. They go down in the basement. They push the furniture around the side of the room, the beginning of bad things, right? And, and they would um, grab all of the darts from the dartboard. had like 20 darts. And these weren't those ping pong balls with Velcro, guys. These were like metal darts that they took the time and love and care to file to a sharp point. And then they would take the BB gun, which, you know... BB gun, and they would just use those on each other. Now, for safety reasons, they could only pump the gun one time, so that way you would lose your sight slowly over an hour instead of instantly being blind. So it was great. They had safety precautions, and Brian would come to church, and he'd tell me about these things, and I'd always be like, ah, you are so lucky. My mom would kill me if I got killed. Ah, right? And so I wanted to do, I wanted in on this action so bad. So I, I, I had it all worked out with Brian. Um, I would go to church in the morning with my family. And I'd go, we went to a church that did like Sunday morning and Sunday night because we love the church, right? Lots of church. So we would go to Sunday morning. I would go home with Brian. His mom would go to work. We'd kill each other. And then I'd go back Sunday night uh, and live with that, those people, right? So that was the plan. We go to Brian's house after church. We're eating lunch. His mom takes off. And I'm like, Brian, let's do it. Let's have a dart war. And he's like, well, I mean, we can, but, you know, you're going to cry like a little baby. (laughs) And I was like, no, I'm not. He's like, well, you probably are. Right, so we get all the darts. I talk him into it. We've got like 20 darts. We divide them up. We go out to the front yard, and, and we open the front door, and there's like sidewalk down. And then on this side, there's like a tree and the driveway. And over here, Nothing, just grass and like some bushes up against the house, like flowers or something, right? And so Brian goes, you can have the side with a tree. And I was like, thank you. And he's like, okay, you ready? Go. And I went, "Ah!" and and I was instantly crying like a baby, I'll be honest. And I ran for my life and I ran behind this tree. And I'm not making this up. I heard, shoo, choo, choo, 
<laughs> and I tinkled just like a tiny little bit, just a couple, not a big deal, right? So I'm freaking out though, right? I don't want to stick my head out from behind this tree, so I'm, I'm doing things like this. <clears throat> I think I'm just like placing him in the side of the tree. I'm not, Brian is in no danger whatsoever. And, I, and uh, I run out of darts, and I look over by the driveway. There's a couple of darts. I'm like, i got to go get those darts. So I run out to go get them, and simultaneously he did some sort of ninja move. I got hit between the shoulder blades and in the calf, just like, and I was like, ah! and I dropped to the ground, and I crawled back behind the tree. But uh, now I have two darts. So mission successful, mission accomplished, right? And I have these two darts, and I'm not, I'm, it hurt. So bad. It hurt way more than I imagined it would hurt. And I'm like, these are my last two darts ever. In fact, I'm not ever coming out from behind this tree. I'm I'm just going to live here. I'll raise a family. This is where I live now. And I was like, these are the last two darts, right? So I got to use them carefully. So I wind up and I'm just like, and I made it all the way to the sidewalk. (laughs) It's great. I've got one more dart and I can't waste it. So I'm listening. I don't hear any darts from Brian. I give a little, and I see that Brian, like an idiot, he has his back to me. He's in the bushes over here looking for darts. He's probably over here going like, where are all the darts? There are no darts on my side. of the... Right? That's probably what's going on. He's digging through the bushes. And I'm like, yes, this is it. And I jump out. And I'm going to throw it. And I'm winding up to throw it. And at the last second, I don't know, I don't know what's going on. But the last second, I was like, and I just skied it as high as I could. Because I, I thought if I throw it at Brian, It'll go through his eye and then touch that part of his brain that makes him tinkle, and then we're both tinkling. We don't want that, right? So I just I just skied this this thing as high as I possibly could, and for safety reasons. And so then it's skying, it's going up, it leaves Earth's atmosphere, it, it re-enters the orbit, it bursts into flames, it's coming down towards Brian, and and, and he's in there in the bushes, and I'm watching, and I'm like, that is going to hit him in the head. That's going to hit him in the head. That's going to hit him in the head. Oh, no, that's going to hit him. In the head. And so I decided I'd have to save Brian's life. So I go, because then I was, I, at the last second, I was like, if I yell, Brian, he's going to go. And it'll go like through his mouth and out his rear end. And he'll never be able to eat again. Just like sandwiches would fall out of his pants, right? So I just, I just at the last second, I was like, Egh! and the dart just goes, Shoom! and sticks straight up in his head. And he goes, Shoom! Hey, Brian, are you? Ah! 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 And he's running around the yard with his dart in his head, and I'm running behind him. Ah! Ah! I don't know what to do. And he runs up the sidewalk into the house, and I run up the sidewalk into the house, and he runs over to the bathroom, runs to the bathroom, and I'm standing over his shoulder with his dart sticking out of his head. And I was like, you want me to push it through? <laughs> no, I didn't say that. So darts are scary. <clears throat> That's the point of that story. Darts are scary. But here's the thing. It was this tiny little dart, and we were done having, we were done. The game was over. It was over, right? So I started actually doing research on this, and what they're talking about, some say missiles, some versions of that say missiles, and some say arrows, and some say darts. And the whole thing is, um, you know, back in that day, the shield was like what made Rome and Greece invincible. It was like more than anything else. They had governments and they had blah, 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 and they were blah, blah. But the shield in battle was a game changer. Because before that, the idea was you should have the tiniest shield possible just to protect yourself, but you needed to be free to move and fight. And the, and the Greeks and Romans are like, what if we just had absolutely enormous shields? Just like wall, like 
the height shields, right? And they, and they, they were like, that's what we're going to do. And the thing is, is those shields were terrible unless you locked your shields together with the people next to you. If you locked your shields together, that's when it was a powerful tool. And so, uh, you know, these enemies would fight them, and these guys would have their shields locked together, and they're on the other side going, eh, that's not fair, you're cheating. And they tried everything. They're throwing bigger swords and, and rocks and bigger stuff. And then some smart person was like, what if we just took a little tiny thing and lit it on fire, and we just threw that little thing over, and we hit them on, well, we could throw it under the shield, hit them on the toes, throw it over and hit them on the head. Whatever it is, all we need is for one person to drop their shield, and then boom, we just flood in and nail them, and we win. And see, that shield of faith is actually kind of an obstruction unless you're with your homies and you lock your shields together. And that's what Paul's talking about here. Like, hey, that shield of faith, team up with your homies, guys. Lock your shields together. And maybe you're injured and maybe you're hurt and you've dropped your shield. And you know what? I'm going to hold you up and I'm going to be your faith for you and be your strength for you. And I was watching my mom over here and these people doing amazing things. And I was watching my dad over here with his little tiny ancient shield of faith from his childhood that was just destroyed. And I was like, oh man, this makes sense. Okay, so we're super over time, but I got to get to this. This is good stuff, man. So my dad, we fought all the time. We fought and fought and fought and fought and fought about dumb, dumb, dumb stuff. And then I go away to college and I'm like, whew, glad that's over because now I'm an adult because I am 17, right? And so then I go back home and my dad and I are still fighting about dumb stuff. And I was so mad. And we got into this huge fight and I went into my room and I like slammed the door and I sat on my bed and I was crying. I was crying. I was just so upset. And my mom came in and sat down next to me and I said, he doesn't love me. And I was waiting for her to say, well, you know, he just has his own special way of showing or whatever, you know, and I was like, he doesn't love me. And this is what she said. You're right. He doesn't love you. And he doesn't love me. And he doesn't love anyone else. He only loves himself. And man, that hurt me. I didn't want to be right about that. I didn't want to be right about that. So I went back to college and I was so mad. I was like extra mad because I was right. I didn't want to be right. And so uh, I'm taking all these Bible classes at Northwestern, it's a great school, and uh, I'm learning all this stuff, but God is saying something different to me than what we're learning. He's saying, you need to forgive your dad. You need to forgive your dad. You need to forgive your dad. And I'm like, I'm not going to forgive my dad. If my dad came to me and fell on his face and said, I'm so sorry, Wes, you were right about everything, then I would say, go in peace and serve the Lord. You are forgiven. (laughs) Right? But I'm not going to do that if he doesn't even ask me to forgive him. And then God said to me very clearly, oh, really? That's exactly what I did for you. That's exactly what I did for you. The Bible says that while we were enemies to him, Christ died for us. And I was like, well, don't bring the Bible into this. (sighs) Okay, so I go home on a holiday, and I was like, I'm going to forgive my dad. And I was like, hey, dad, listen, just so you know, uh, I'm sorry for the stuff that I did because I did some stuff. I was a punk. And I just want you to know that I forgive you for the stuff you did that dads aren't supposed to do and the stuff you didn't do that dads aren't supposed to do. Wait, did I say that right? The stuff you didn't do that dads should do. You know what I'm saying. I just forgive you for all the stuff, right? And I'll never forget his reaction. He was like, great, good talk. Okay, so can I unpause Alf, right? Because my dad loved Alf. Okay, so anyway, I was mad. I go back to college and I was like, see God, I told you, I just wasted a perfectly good forgiveness coupon on that guy. Two years later, 
Uh, my senior year, I'm getting ready for my senior project. Uh, I'm totally stressed out. We're like a week away from finals. And um, I get a call from my brother, and he says, hey, you got to come home. Uh, Dad's been in a car accident. And I was like, oh, wow, okay, it's Friday. Um, I got a test Tuesday and Wednesday, and then I was going to come home Thursday morning, but maybe I'll just come Wednesday. And he's like, no, 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 no. You need to come home right now. You need to come home right now. And some friends gave me some air miles, and I flew home that night, <clears throat> and uh, like that afternoon. And uh, my dad had gone off the road and like hit this overhead pass sign, like those giant metal poles. And we don't know if he hit a patch of ice or fell asleep. It was like really early in the morning. We don't know what happened, but he hits this pole, and the car collapsed in on him. And he had a broken foot and broken femurs and broken ribs and his face was shredded. His femurs, his hips shattered like glass because he had arthritic hips from standing on his feet for, for 30 years. And his femurs, which are the strongest bones in your body, they both broke by being collapsed. And so my dad is in surgery and the surgeons are arguing with each other with the anesthesiologist because they try to put anesthesiology stuff, the gas to like put him in a deeper sleep so that he, they can do surgery. And see what happens is when your bones are broken, the marrow starts floating around in your bloodstream and it doesn't know where to go and it collects in your lungs as fluid. And so the anesthesiologist, his job is to slow down the breathing that's part of that process and he's like, we can't do it or he's going to drown. And then the surgeons will say, well, we got he's got so many broken bones, we've got to get him put back together or he's going to drown. So we have to do surgery, he's going to drown. We have to stop doing surgery, he's going to drown. Back and forth, back and forth. 24 hours of that. And I'm in the waiting room thinking, God, thank you so much for making me forgive him. Thank you for making me forgive him when I didn't want to. Thank you. And uh, they come out after 24 hours and they're like, he's all sealed up and it looks like he's going to make it. And I didn't really know how serious it was till they let us in the room with him. And uh, his face was all stitched up and he was like in a body cast. And I just didn't even recognize him. <laughs> I didn't recognize him. And um, he had, uh, out of one of the casts, he had just his hand free. And I went over and I grabbed his hand. <clears throat> and he was squeezing it really hard. And uh, I knew he was trying to talk, but he had like tubes coming out of his mouth. And I was like, I said, I love you too. And he just crushed my hand and like tears are coming out of his eyes and uh I'm just thinking like thank you for for making me forgive him when I didn't want to and so here's the thing my dad's life radically changed after that accident like radically changed and a lot of people will look at that and go his life changed because of the accident and that's almost true you've hit the target but not the bullseye my dad's life changed because these people over here poured love on our family like I've never seen before. They were in the hospital with us 24 hours a day for weeks. There was someone there 24 hours a day for weeks. They brought food. They, they brought stuff. My mom and I, one day, were over at a little side table in the, in the waiting room thing, and we're, like, going through bills, and we're like, oh, my gosh, I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know what we're going to do. And somebody in that room overheard that, and we got home that night, and there was $500 in an envelope stuck in the door. And there was a little note that said, you can expect this every month for the next year. Who did that? I, I still don't know who did that, but I promise you they were over here. They were in this group, holding up our shield of faith for us, making us strong. And my dad, meanwhile, literally could not do anything. He could not take it. His philosophy was like, look out for yourself, just look out for you. Don't worry about other people. And that got crushed, got destroyed in that car accident. He couldn't go to the bathroom by himself. He couldn't tie his shoes by himself. 
um, we found out my dad couldn't come home because our house wasn't handicap accessible. And we were looking at him living in a, in a, a, like a nursing home basically for a couple years. And uh, the, a guy that my dad works with, who's a Christian, so you can work in a factory and be a Christian. <laughs> so he takes his own vacation time and his own money and he builds a, a up-to-code ramp around our house so that my dad can come home. This dude's over here. And my dad just sees the love from these people and it broke him and it changed his life. And he's like, I want more of that. I want to be like that. And I'm telling you, my dad passed away at the beginning of COVID. It wasn't COVID related, but he, he passed away from all sorts of health problems, probably connected to that. But the time between that and, and that car accident in 1995, he was a radically different dude. And he would weep at a moment's notice and be loving and kind to everyone. And I would tell people that knew that guy what my dad was like before. And they're like, that's not the same guy. And I'm like, I know it's not the same guy. I know. And so I know that Jesus can radically change people. And it's when we hold up our shield of faith and we surround each other and love each other and hold them up. So listen, I'm going to let you guys go. But here's the thing. Think about this as you go. Who do I need to forgive? Who do I need to forgive? Because, man, I, there's somebody wisely said bitterness is the only poison that we drink and we think it's going to kill somebody else. So who do you need to forgive? And, and, and what's on the other side of that is amazing. So don't, get that party started now. Right? Who do I need to forgive? Secondly, talk to your, your friends about this. I know you guys are in, I don't know what they're called, clubs, groups, discipleship groups. You guys are in cults, whatever it is. It doesn't matter. Whatever that thing is, talk to each other and say like, hey, who do we know that we can hold up their shield of faith? Can we go to some little old lady's house and clean out her gutters? Is there one of our friends that we could do something that they don't even know we did it to, to, to bless them? Hold up their shield of faith. Will you guys do that? Okay, I'm going to pray and then I just tell them to get out of here. Okay, Lord, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the crazy book that you gave us about how you, act, uh, how you interact with us. Um, you are good, you are kind, you are loving, and man, you are patient with us. Lord, show us who we can forgive, who we need to forgive for our sake and for theirs. Lord, show us who we can hold up their shield of faith and bless them. Um, we just want to do... Uh, the, the, the good things that you have for us to do. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you, guys.